Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Last week, uh, Pastor Larry gave us a message on uh, the watchman. Uh, And this week, we're going to welcome Pastor Larry again, and he's going to come up and talk about uh, who you say I am. Thank you, Pastor Larry. So just a a real quick correction. The cost of the encounter, $30 doesn't cover the cost of food. Um, The cost of the encounter is actually $60. I'm sorry. But it's $60 very well spent. Do you know, um, the, in the worship, the, the song, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, um, I'm not, yeah, I don't know how you experience worship. For me, um, I, I, I honestly, I, I see myself sitting at the feet of Jesus and just being in awe of, of who he is and, and what he's done for me, but, um, this particular morning, um, the title is "Who Do You Say I Am?" I'm, I'm talking about identity, and you know, um, it's no surprise that you know often the devil attacks you um, regarding the topic that you're going to be talking on. So I've been wrestling all week, and specifically yesterday and today um, with my identity, and it's no surprise. I've said it before. Um, I'm not, like, the person that I once was is not who I am today. But as um, I'm standing there in worship, um, I said to Mike, I says, Mike, I need you to pray for me because my legs are shaking. And um, as he was praying for me, the Lord reminded me to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In the beginning, it says, for I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness. This is Paul talking. He says, I came to you in weakness. And honestly, this morning, I'm coming to you in weakness. Timid and trembling. I know you can't see it, but I'm, this is no word of a lie. My legs are shaking. And my message and my preaching were very plain. My message this morning will be very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. And, and often, we base our Sunday morning on, on um, how good the preacher did, how great the worship was. And uh, honestly, my prayer this morning is that a week from now, you don't even have a clue who preached at you. But what resonates in your heart and in your minds is what did the Holy Spirit say to you this morning? That's, that's honestly my prayer. Um, before I get into 
the fun stuff. Well, I'm, actually, I'm going to start the fun stuff right now. I'm going to ask for a volunteer to come up. All right. Come on. You can grab this mic, but you're going to have to give it back. No, 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 not, not yet. <laughs> but anyways, um, I have this thing here, and I want you to take a look at it, and I want you to tell me what it is. Spoon. Okay, so he says it's a baby spoon. Okay, what about this? What's this? It's a tool. Okay, so he says it's a tool. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> this could be a spoon, but more specifically, this is a cream top separator. Actually, this spoon was derived in the early 1920s. That's old. It's over 100 years old. Yes, it is a spoon, but to say it's a spoon or a baby spoon really in essence is a deterrent from what it really is, what its purpose and what its intent really is. This, that's yeah, a tool. It is a farm buggy wrench. That's right, it's a farm buggy wrench. This tool is from the 1820s. over 200 years old. But here's the interesting thing. To call this a baby spoon, it could be used as a baby spoon, but it really defeats the purpose of what its really in, real intent is. And until I would say to you, this is a cream top separator, for some of you, you still don't have a clue. What the heck is that? Maybe for most of you. My mother, growing up on the farm, she used a spoon just like this. My dad would come in after milking the jersey, and the milk would sit on the counter for a while, and as the milk came in in its milk jug, my mom would take this little spoon and hook it on the edge of the milk container and leave it sit there for a while. And it's not like the cream automatically jumps into this little thing and she takes it out. But after a while, once the cream settles, she would use this to scoop the cream off the top. This, however, if I'm to be 100% honest with you, never in my life have I seen any such a thing. And I grew up on a farm. But the point is, if I was to try and use this as a hammer that would completely defeat its purpose, right? You know, names are critically important. If I was to have said to Rick right from the beginning, this is a cream top separator. Based on the name in and of itself, if you're creative in your thinking, you can probably 
imagine what the purpose of that spoon is, right? And if I tell you that this is a farm buggy wrench, then you can picture in your head what it's for. Oh, yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that being a wrench. Who do you say I am? What's my name? You know, names define purpose and character. There's an article that I came across in Christianity Today from November 2016. And in there it says, names are deeply important to human beings. A crucial way of understanding not just the world around us, but each other. A surname roots us in history and family tradition, while first names establish more particularly identity and personality. You may become quite attached to your name, or you may wish that you were called something else altogether. But does it really matter what your name is? Do you become what you're called? Or are you called what you are? What are the influences that come into play to establish your name? or better yet, who you are. I hope that as we go through this message this morning, I'm going to bring some clarity to that. Who gives you your name? Your parents. Who gave Adam and Eve their name? Their parents. Well, their dad. God. The Hebrew word used for Adam means ground. Adam was derived from the ground. And interestingly, another important fact about Adam is Adam, God used Adam to name every plant, animal, bird, fish that God created. Can you imagine that? The names that Adam gave God's creation are the very words that help us picture the awesomeness of God in that creation. Eve means life or mother of life. From Eve came all humanity. Yes, parents are the one who give their children their names, but how do parents come up with the name? Is there some divine revelation where God places the name in the parents' hearts? But what if the parents aren't believers? Can God still have an influence on what the child is called? Did Abram know God before God spoke to him in the land of Ur? No, he didn't. Do you know that Abram was an astrologist? He studied the stars. But he heard from God. But more importantly, in relationship to what I'm talking about, who gave Abram his name? God. Well, that's detestable. His parents did. But is it possible that God influenced that name? And apart from that, do you know what Abram means? Exalted father. 
Abram means exalted father. But was Abram a father? As long as Abram had the name Abram, he was never a father. He never was. Abram became a father when God changed his name to Abraham. Do you know what Abraham means? The name Abraham means father of multitudes. Does anybody know any Abrahams here? I do. Every time he walks through the door, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Isn't that interesting? Abraham has many sons. Abraham in the Bible, however, did not have many sons. He had one illegitimate son, and he had one divine God-given son at the age of, of 99 or 100. I'm going completely off. Well, I'm not going off script because I planned this, but it's going to be kind of off from what you're used to. Um, Sharon Holder, can you come up front here? You have to understand, I have not had conversation with Sharon. Sharon has no idea what I'm up to. Hi. I'm going to give you this mic. Just okay. let's, let's, let's come center stage, but I don't want you to look at my notes because then you'll know what I'm up to. Okay. But Sharon, I want to ask you about your daughter, Kelly. Yes. Okay. I... So... Uh, 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 <laughs> I'll ask the questions. Okay. You just give the answers. Yes, sir. So, Sharon, when you gave birth to Kelly, were you a Christian? I believed in God, but I wasn't a born-again saint. Okay. And so, can you tell the congregation how you came up with the name Kelly? I did not come up with the name of Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have three daughters, and I was pregnant, and it was Kelly. And because I had had children before, she came very quickly. And uh, I guess they put me out, and all I know is when I came to, I said, where's Kelly? I didn't know. But this is 46 years ago. We didn't know if it was a male or a female, because back then, the only time you found out is if there was a problem. But when, when I came to, I just said, where's Kelly? So, so it was Kelly, and then it got, was Kelly Rose. So that's, God just spoke it out my mouth, and it became fact. So one more question. Yes, sir. <laughs> when you gave Kelly her name, did you have any idea what the name Kelly means? No, I did not. Okay. I didn't even know if it was a boy or a girl. Right. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So, um, Kelly, her daughter, is not here this morning. Um, her and Aaron are, are actually, they're upstairs teaching D12O this morning. But I did have conversation with Kelly and had her permission before doing all this. 
you know, it's interesting. Um, Sharon would have had no idea even the influence or the significance of the name Kelly. But there's so much more to this story, and it's really, really relevant. Um, and I'm going to be talking about this a little bit in more detail further on in the message. But there's, um, there's a process that, that some of us have started to work through, and, and it's an identity process um, of learning to ask the right questions, hearing from God, and having God answer, who do you say I am? Very simple question. Who do you say I am? And Kelly, when she asked this question, the Lord told her, you are my warrior. You are my warrior. That's all. Very simple. You are my warrior. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Do you know what Kelly means? The name Kelly is Gaelic. And it means warrior. It means warrior. Is this just happenstance? Is it just something that just happened? Or is God behind this? Is God behind the name that he calls you? Oh my, oh my, oh my. I was just going to ask Colleen to come up. <laughs> Saved by Eric. While you're sitting there, my dear, can I talk about you? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Mike. So, Colleen, who gave you your name? Can you try that again? Who gave you your name? Check. Oh. My mom. Are you trying to make me cry? Nope. <laughs> and what is your name? Colleen. Colleen is Celtic. The name Colleen means warrior. Colleen, when we were working through this process together, who did God say you are? Warrior. Warrior. Can you imagine life being easy as a warrior? No. And yet God gives the grace in agreement with who he has called you to be, to be who he's called you to be every day. Amber, thank you. You can put the mic back here. I'm not going to call anybody else up. Who do you think gave you your name? To ask what your own name is, is really to ask, who am I? 
Or indeed, who will I become? You know, growing up in, the, in a family of seven kids, being number five, I had two older sisters, two older brothers, then there was a three-year gap, and I had two younger sisters. So guess what? I grew up playing alone. My sisters often invited me to play Barbies with them, but I, that, it wasn't working. My two older brothers, ingenious brothers they were, they had a natural knack of getting me into trouble. I've often been told I'm gullible, um, and I think I was in those days, because they would get me to do stuff and inevitably, I would get in trouble for it. I felt growing up very much alone, always trying to appease my dad, to make him happy, but never succeeding. Then to make matters worse, in elementary school, grades three, four, and five, each one of those teachers, at some point in time, and, and often in multiple occasions, would say to me, if you don't change, you'll never amount to anything. You'll never amount to anything. The belief strongly influenced in a very strong negative way, not only my childhood, but even my adulthood. It has taken years for me to discover who I am. Who I am really, not the false me, but the real true me. And even like I shared with you this morning, even coming up here and in preparation, the devil kept bringing back all those lies about who I am. I was, who he says I am, brings about a daunting question. What happens from childhood on that brings about this lack of love or appreciation or truthful acknowledgement of who you are? Children are born innocent. Do you know what the word innocent means? The word innocent literally means unwounded. The word innocent means unwounded. But at some point in time, as a child goes from infancy through childhood into teen or preteen, teen, post-teen, young adult, and so on, life's experiences, words, enter in and distort their understanding of who they truly are. And it all starts from believing a lie. My name means crowned with laurel. Laurel is a wreath worn on the head, usually as a symbol of victory. When I was young, I never liked my name. I hated my name. But that's because people would call me Lawrence, thinking that Larry is just short for Lawrence. 
And I hated that. However, as I have come to appreciate who God created me to be, I've often, through my life experiences, begun to realize that I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. I am a victor in the kingdom of God. Interesting, though, even before I understood or even looked up the, na- the significance of my name, I adopted the nickname Vencedor. Roly, what does Vencedor mean? Conqueror, overcomer, right? Revelation 2, verse 17. To him who overcomes, I will give a new name. That's me, overcomer. But there's so much more I want to share about me. I'm just, I, I got to move on first. <sighs> Becoming what you believe. This fall, by the way, in our Pathway to Maturity classes, starting after the encounter, one of the classes going to be offered is actually entitled Becoming What You Believe. Um, and in a quote, Jamie and Donna Winship used, using this quote to describe their course, they write, you live from a belief system formed over a lifetime of positive or negative experiences. We have learned that you can't give away what you don't have. In other words, you are what you believe about yourself. That's who you are. So if you don't like who you are, maybe it's time to pause and ask yourself, what am I believing that's making me unhappy about who I am? Maybe it's time to change what you believe. I'm going to expand on that as we keep going. But why do you think Jesus asked the disciples this question from the scripture reading this morning? Who do you say I am? Why? I truly believe that the very essence of knowing who you are is established on the foundation of who your creator is. The name given here Defined by its creator. The name for this, defined by its creator. Significant in understanding not only what it is, but its value and its purpose. Remember that we are all created in the image and likeness of God himself. What did Jesus remind his disciples of on multiple occasions? One of, in one of them, John 14, verse 9, he says, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? How does that fit? If you know Jesus, 
you know the Father. Do you know there's an assault on humanity regarding uh, identity? Our educational system is no longer focusing on the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. But unless we begin a shift in the way we address our children and others, for that matter, we will all live in a chaotic world not knowing who we really are. This isn't something new, though. This assault on humanity has been going on since the very beginning of time. John 10.10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose, Jesus is saying, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus, or sorry, the devil is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus, nothing comes out of Jesus' mouth but the truth. So how does the thief do this? By having you believe lies. That's one of the biggest ways, by having you believe lies. In the Garden of Eden, the serpent convinced Eve that of all the trees that they could eat from, and I don't know how many there were, hundreds, thousands perhaps, of all the trees, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. What do you mean you can't eat from this tree? And then he goes and he deceives even more to tell her of all the benefits that you could get by eating this tree, but leaving out the most important truth. Deception is lies. And you know the rest of the story. The Israelites were convinced that they were nothing more than slaves. Instead of crying out to God for the truth to their situation, they grumbled and complained. They were no more than just slaves. God raised up a redeemer for his people. Moses' identity from birth is deliverer, liberator, nation builder. But because of one bad choice, he believes that he's nothing more than a shepherd. A shepherd. You know, the story, as we find it in Exodus chapters 2 and 3, Fascinating story, but I just want to give some highlights for the sake of time. Moses is raised in the Pharaoh's palace, taught with the greatest wisdom of the nation. One day as he was wandering around outside of the palace, he sees one of the Hebrew people being beaten, and he kills the Egyptian. Out of fear of Pharaoh, he flees. Stopping by a well in Midian, he sits down and and the daughters of the priest of Midian come by to fill their jugs with water, only to have some local shepherds scare them off. Moses, being true to his true identity as redeemer, protects the women and, and, and chases the shepherds away and, and helps the women fill their buckets. Moses marries one of the daughters of the priest, and he lives as a shepherd for 40 years. At the moment when the Israelites begin to cry out to him for their redemption, God has an encounter with Moses. He catches Moses' attention through a burning bush, which doesn't burn up. God tells Moses that he is the redeemer for the Israeli people. 
Moses replies, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? After trying to encourage Moses, he continues to reject his calling, his true calling, believing the lie that he's just a shepherd. In Exodus 3, verses 13 to 15, and I want to read this. Here's Moses' protest. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of, our, of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? I love God's reply to Moses. I am who I am. Interesting. Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say I am? Here, God's reply to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Do you know what God is saying here? His name is not isolated to one single point in time in life. God's name is constant. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God who was the I am for Moses is the I am for you. Even after being told, reminded of who he, his true self is, the devil continually tried to convince Moses otherwise. And so the dialogue following Moses tries every excuse under the sun as to why he shouldn't claim his true identity. And the devil does the same for you and me. Constant bombardment of lies. So let's go back to the story in uh, Matthew 16. Starting at verse 17. Jesus replied, this is in response to Peter saying that you are the Messiah. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. Picture yourself for a moment being one of the disciples sitting around and hearing Jesus give Simon this new name. I'd be like, well, what about me? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Back in May, as I talked about earlier, I was working through this process of learning to know more about what Jesus calls me. But before I could get there, there were some lies that I needed to address. Just a farm boy, one of them. Good for nothing, won't amount to anything. But out of all the lies, there was one that was most predominant that the Lord showed me. It's the lie that I believed that my value and worth before God was based on what I did for him. 
as opposed to my just being me, the one he created. Do you know what that is? That's idolatry. That's ministry idolatry. One of the things that God made very clear to me is that it doesn't matter to him as much about what I'm doing for him. But what matters more is what I allow him to do through me. Where I give him all the honor, all the glory. Because honestly, that's what he wants. And my questioning about Jesus, who do you say I am? In one moment, he says, you are my beloved missionary lion. That's what he called me. That may not mean much to all of you, but to me, it means a lot. Not only did he give me that name, but he explained every specific aspect of it and the relevance of it in my life. And I'm not going to go into all the details. But as a result of hearing God tell me this, I've begun asking him way more questions and questions in a different format. My relationship with God has radically changed since then. As I've learned to dialogue with him in a whole new way, I've been asking specific questions about the mysteries of him in the universe the mysteries of me, and the mysteries of others. He has shown me things about himself regarding his love for the world, our church, and for others, and for me personally. Have you ever looked back in your life and you've really questioned, God, where were you in this situation? Just real quick, one of the questions that I asked, I asked God was, did I have that name from birth or was that something you gave me further on when I, after I became a, a, a true follower of Jesus Christ? And uh, he revealed to me how at my birth, he had impressed upon my parents because interestingly, and I asked my dad about this after the fact to verify, my parents didn't name me and they had no concept of a name for me until after I was born. And it was actually two days after I was born that they gave me the name Larry Paul. And the reason why they named me Larry Paul is because they just sensed in their spirit, that's what they should call me. But Paul, significantly, because it was their prayer from my birth that I would be a missionary like Paul. Another question I asked him, I says, Father God, is, was there a time in my childhood that I was actually living in my true identity? And he brought me back to an event in my life shortly after becoming a Christian where I had walked in wintertime a whole mile to my neighbor's house. They, were, they weren't farmers. They lived on an acreage a mile from our house. And my parents would pick... Um, pick the wife and the kids up and bring them to church, but the husband wouldn't go to church. And I just felt a deep compassion and need for him to be united with his family. 
And so I went there as a 12-year-old and preached to him about Jesus. In my inexperience. But you see, that didn't sit well with the leaders of the church because he was so offended at the fact that I did that that he packed up his family and he moved back to the city. And so some of the elders of the church, they came to the house and they sat down with my dad and and myself and they began to tell me in brief, don't you ever do that again. I remember very, you know, as God was bringing this to my remembrance, I remember how I never really had any animosity towards the leaders or towards the church for that matter. And so I asked God, God, in that situation, where were you? And you know what he showed me? He gave me a vision, an image of me sitting in in a single armchair and they were sitting, the three of them, on a couch opposite me and my dad was sitting on a love seat to my right. And Jesus was standing right in the middle between them and me. And he said to me, I was standing there to protect their words that they wouldn't draw offense from you. And then I asked him, why did I become bitter and angry with my dad? And he said to me, he said, I had impressed upon your father to defend your identity, but because of fear of the elders, he didn't. He didn't. And so through the rest of my life, in and out, God has shown me details of how he drew me back into my true identity. And then something would happen. I would accept a lie and and off I go. You know, there's so many more things that the Lord has revealed to me, but um, we got to conclude. So what is the conclusion? Very simple. I am is the conclusion. John 8, 31 to 32, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth. The truth even about who you are. And the truth will set you free. Free from what? Free for what? Free to be the true you God intended. Free to be a giant slayer. Free to walk in fire and not be burned. Free to have wisdom beyond your years. Free to walk on water. To heal, to give, to serve, to love. Free to go and make disciples. You see, our relationship outside of these four walls is dependent upon you knowing who you are. We say, I can't let somebody else do it. But why can't you? Because you're living in your false you. The true you can, because I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. 
Philippians 4.13. When you are living in your true self, you are living in Christ and Christ in you. Ephesians 4 verse 13 says, this will continue until you, until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Jesus Christ. When your heart's desire is for Christ and Christ alone, that you are willing to die to yourself, to your old self, and allow Jesus Christ to transform you into the person he has always called you to be. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Real quick, I, I just want to share this last story. Father's Day, this just past Father's Day, I flew to Winnipeg to see my dad. My dad is 90 years old. And um, my mom passed away um, a long time ago. 2020. Seems like a long time ago. Anyways, ever since mom passed away, my dad just emotionally, spiritually, just declined. Um, I arrived on Wednesday. I went to see him. He didn't even acknowledge me. Um, he was just down, depressed. And I'm like, God, what am I here for? What am I here for? And he says, remind them of who he is. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. And so Thursday morning, I went and I spent the entire morning with him. And I'm like, I'm just praying, God, give me the words, give me the words. And, and I start talking about the dad of the old days and, and reflecting on, on good memories and things like this. And I, and I says, Dad, who are you? And he goes, well, I'm, I'm John. And I go, yeah, that's your name. But who, if God was to be sitting here with us, who would he call you? He said, well, I don't know. I'm like, God, what do I tell him? How do I, how do I get this across? And he says, just tell him. I says, well, you got to tell me first. He says, just tell him. And it wasn't coming. It wasn't coming. And I says, Dad, this is what the Lord calls you. He says, you're a Johnny, my cheerful giver. He just broke down. And it just, everything, all, the, all the, the things that were weighing on him, it was like they just left. We talked about reflections of times in his life where, where he was Johnny, God's cheerful giver. And it brought back a smile to his face. It lifted up his spirit. And um, we left his room and, and um, we're walking about and see before, my dad can hardly hear a thing. And so that's his excuse for being the untrue him. And he he's in, starts engaging with people, but then still believing the lie and so withdrawing. Saturday, we had a family gathering at my brother's and, and I went to pick him up. And as I picked him up, I, I asked him again at the door, I says, Dad, do you remember who God says you are? He says, yeah, I'm Johnny, God's cheerful giver. And as we walked down out of the building, he was greeting people. He says, and I can't remember their names. Hey, Martha, how you doing? In this cheerful voice. And she looks at him. <laughs> what happened to Johnny? And another one, and another one. I spent all Sunday morning with him. 
and we went for a walk. Same thing. Johnny was back. God's cheerful giver was back. Monday morning, I'm flying home. I land in Kitchener, and I had a bunch of texts from my sister. Larry, what did you do with Dad? <laughs> and I, I called her up right away as I got into the car, and I says, why? What's going on? He's not the same. And I go, good, I hope. And she says, yes, what did you do? I just reminded him of who he is. I encourage you. Spend some time in honest to goodness worship before the throne of the kings, king of kings. Spend some time in worship. Get quiet before the Lord. Look up to him in his face and say, who do you say I am? And then allow the belief behind that to generate energy that you've never experienced before in your life. A confidence in who you are. The confidence that will allow you to love in ways that you've never imagined possible. I'm telling you, it will change your life for God's glory. Let's stand. Praise God for communion elements. <laughs> Father God, Jesus, who was God, did not consider equality with God as something to grasp, but he humbled himself, taking on human form, beaten, persecuted, and dying, so that you and I could know who we are. Oh, Father, thank you for your sending your son for that deep, unending love. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to live, to die, to be separated from his father. Heartbreaking. And as we partake of this communion element, Father God, it's just a remembrance of that incredible love, that deep, unending love. Thank you, Father. for this cup, Lord. Your blood spilled out for the forgiveness of sins. Father God, forgive us for the lies that we believe about who we are. Forgive us, Father God, for the many times that we have just failed to walk in our true identity, the person that you created us to be. Father God, forgive us for the times where we find it more comfortable or safer to just live in that lie as opposed to just experiencing the emptying of self so that you can become our everything.
oh, Father, bring us back to that true heart of worship where Christ is everything. Draw our hearts, Father, into wanting and desiring to know you. And as we know you, because we are created in, our, in your likeness, we get to know who we really are. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Thank you for that wonderful birthday present. I can't think of a better birthday present than thinking about who I am in Christ. Actually, um, this is a special day. Um, she just stole my lines. Um, I did want to say to you, Iris, that yeah. you're as stunning today as when I first met you 40 years ago. Oh. Thank you, dear, but we're here for the benediction, dear. Okay. And by the way, that is an amazing outfit you have. The, the benediction, dear. So Iris has many, many outfits. I should know because I pay for them all. The benediction, dear. And by the way, why are you wearing uh, your outfit for the gala, which is on November 3rd, by the way? November 3rd? benediction. Steve. It was said of Iris that her wardrobe God. could the clothe the third world. <laughs> and Lisa Lumley could testify of that. And speaking of Lisa Lumley, she has a magnificent blog that you can find on YouTube. You should check it out. Oh, by the way, ladies, if you're wondering how many pieces of jewelry Iris has on today. I'm going to kill him. The benediction. 29. The benediction. If there's any ladies here that have 29 pieces of jewelry on, I want to invite you to the altar, along with Iris. The prayer ministry will help you. Benediction. Okay. <clears throat> so just while we're on the subject of dress, you know, there's, 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 there's two different philosophies on dressing. As you know, um, there's the very biblical one, I believe, or church one that, you know, come as you are. God looks on the heart, not on the outer man. And we don't put people in different places because of the way they dress. But the other camp believes that you never get a second chance and a first impression. And who doesn't love to have a genuine compliment of, wow, that looks sharp, or wow, that's a beautiful outfit you have. But regardless of what camp you're in, we all can come to an agreement on what God's word says about how we should clothe ourselves. And this is the benediction for today. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves in feelings of compassion and with kindness. Clothe yourselves in humility, gentleness, and patience. Put off the old self, which is being corrupted through deceitful desires and being continually renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, the regenerated and renewed nature, the new identity, the original identity, created in God's image in the righteousness and holiness of truth. 
Windsor Christian Fellowship, put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against all the schemes, lies, and strategies, and the deceit of the devil. Windsor Christian Fellowship, above all things, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together perfectly, and let the shalom which comes from the Mashiach be your heart's decision maker, for this is why you were called to be part of a single body. Windsor Christian Fellowship, you have been equipped. Now go.